Hello and welcome to the No Pun Included podcast, the only podcast about board games that has been awarded the Cheese Whiz Lifetime Achievement Award. What's Cheese Whiz? I think they spray cheese from a can. Why is it called Whiz? That sounds like wee wee. Uh, I mean, it's because when you spray it from a can, it goes. We <laughs> <laughs> um, shouldn't spray like that. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't uh, think it has anything to do with wee wee. Okay, few. I had I had cheese from a tube once mm-hmm. uh, that was from IKEA mm-hmm. uh, from the food department of okay. IKEA. That okay. it wasn't great. It had uh, caviar in it. You mean I, fish balls? Fish balls, fish eggs. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't great, but I guess they didn't use the best caviar, I imagine. Or the best cheese, for that well, matter. Well, probably not. I mean, if a cheese is a liquid, like... Did you have to assemble it yourself? <laughs> yeah, just take the cap off. It's, it's no Cheese Whiz and no Cheese Whiz Lifetime Achievement Award, which I'm very proud of. And every one of you listening right now, every single word we say, just bear in mind as we say it, that we are the recipients of the Cheese Whiz Lifetime Achievement Award. I feel like we talk about cheese too much on this podcast. And non-specific cheese as well. We don't talk about like a useful like cheese podcast about this cheddar or this gouda or this reblochon or whatever. I we was just, just going to say reblochon. <laughs> we yeah. just talk about generic cheese. Do you know that tartiflette, a lot of people think, is a, is a, like a French cultural dish icon I thing. I do. But it was actually invented in the 80s to save the reblochon industry. In England? Or, no, no, in, no, in France. In, in France so it yeah. is a cultural It, it is, thing. but it's only, it's only since been about since the 80s. Well, there's lots of things that, you know, are in our consciousness that have only been around for a few years. Not everyone might know what tartiflette is. If you don't know what tartiflette is, it's a French dish that's made out of potatoes, onions, bacon... And mountains, and mountains of mountain cow cheese. <laughs> mountain cow cheese. That's where it's made from, Reblochon, from mm. mountain we, cows. Do you remember we saw that documentary on how that's, Reblochon That's very true. Made. Shall we talk about board <laughs> yes, games? Yes, let's. What board games are we talking about? Uh, today, on the 22nd No Pun Included podcast, we are going to be talking about Summoner Wars, Cora, and you are going to be talking about Kemet, which I have not played, so I'm looking forward to that. I mean, you have played Kemet, you just haven't played Kemet Blood and That's Sand, true. which is That's the true. new version of Kemet. All of that excitement coming into your ear holes right now. Do we have any No Pun Included news? Just... One smidge of news in smidget. that smidget of news in that we just published a video called Kanban. Full spoilers. Uh, well, it's a Kanban EV review. Full spoilers. Brackets for the film Christopher Robin. Uh, and I would encourage everyone to go and watch that review if you haven't yet, especially if you have interest in uh, in board games as as a medium for storytelling, because uh, the title, the joke in the title being that. Obviously, you can't spoil Kanban. What do you spoil in Kanban? It's a heavy Euro game. It's a dry efficiency puzzle. That's a spoiler in itself. Yeah, or so you would think, (laughs) right? Uh, So go watch that. It's really good. It's it's more in the vein of videos like uh, when I did a video on Food Chain Magnet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And if you enjoyed that, you will definitely enjoy this one. And if you have no interest in, in heavy Euro games, or if you saw the thumbnail and thought... Oh no, I don't want spoilers. Hey, there are no spoilers, aside from the film Christopher Robin. Uh, and also, you might uh, discover something about uh, games that you've never had before. That's my pitch. 
That was rough. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> you also spoil the spoilers, what the spoilers are. You spoil what the spoilers are. What, what do you mean I spoiled what the like spoilers are? Like, you gave are? away. You're like, oh, there's spoilers in this, but not for what you think. But now they know because you've spoiled what the spoilers are. I mean, that's are the for. gag, yes. I see. <laughs> Thank you for explaining the joke to everyone. I mean, you have to explain a joke, otherwise, how is it funny? I Yeah, right? That's That's what makes a good joke. When you sit there and go, what is this? And then someone sits down with you and explains it meticulously. Like I did for that sketch show, uh, I Think You Should Leave with Tim oh, Robinson. Yeah. And you really didn't like it. I'm like, no, you don't get it, Elaine. It's funny because of all these things. And That sent me into a bit of an existential crisis <laughs> because, because there were so many positive reviews online for it. Yeah. So many people saying, you know, this is just out there. Like, you just don't get it if you watch it and hate it and I genuinely just was watching it going I don't understand this I don't understand why this is funny to anyone this is just not this is like watching a cardboard box this isn't just not funny um no I I think you've got something going there it, it is it is a show that makes itself incredibly difficult to like and I think that's why a lot of people like it but as soon as you start explaining that you start sounding like an ass. Let's talk about Summoner Wars, a game that you introduced to me as a game that's a little bit like magic, but without the uh, nail bitiness. Well, so I have to preface this uh, in terms of Elaine's relationship with collectible card games or games that are in the vein of collectible card games. So if we take them as a genre rather than as a purchasing model. That aren't cooperative. Yeah, like yeah. They're, they're card games where you either build a deck or it's just like you have a deck of cards and they're confrontational one versus another, mm -hmm. right? So I would say Race for the Galaxy does not fall into that genre, even though it's confrontational, but it's like, you know, there's tableau building and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Whereas something like Summoner Wars, even though there's no like booster packs or whatever, I think it falls into the collectible card game genre because it's it's emulating the tropes seen within those games. Mm. Uh, so you have a problem with those games. And by problem, I don't mean like, oh, no, they're offensive. I mean like, <laughs> oh, no, it gives me the heebie-jeebies when I play them. I like playing Magic the Gathering. I like playing that kind of game. But mm. I always have to play in an environment where there's no weight around me winning or losing. Mm -hmm. uh, because I've played Magic at tournaments. Yeah. Um, and the whole thing just makes me feel like I'm, you know, doing a test. And I don't know why that is. It's just, I think it might be because when I was a kid, from when I was seven, I used to go to taekwondo tournaments, mm -hmm. right? And they kind of, they didn't matter, matter, but they mattered. Like, you know, if you won the fights or you won the pattern competitions, then it was a big thing. Yeah. Right. So it mattered to your club, it, like because your name was associated with your club and, you know, stuff like that. So it kind of mattered. And I think I get that same feeling of anxiety whenever I just go to, you know, a, a comic book shop to play a game of magic. Mm. I get that same anxiety. So you you have a black belt in Taekwondo, don't you? I do, but I got it when I was thirteen. So like that still like, counts. It was it was some time ago. Do not like challenge me. Hey, I've me. seen pictures <laughs> of you being all like. In a, in a, what, what do you call the garb? Sorry, I'm a very much a novice in the martial arts. A taekwondo suit. 
<laughs> is what we called it. Okay. We we called the um the place where you go to train a dojang because I believe that's anglicized Korean. Okay, so with that in mind, mm-hmm. right? I introduced this game to you and I said, "Look, Elaine, it's it's kind of like magic, but it doesn't have that tension. Mm. It doesn't have that sort of like uh oh no, you know, I never know what's going to happen at any point." And I said, it feels a little bit more like a puzzle mm. where each turn you're presented with a situation like in chess, yes. right? And yeah, you, you have to figure out yourself out of that situation. Yes. Like in chess. Uh, so I was hoping that this wouldn't make you feel stressed as you were playing. How did that transpire? Well, maybe you didn't know, but I also uh, was in the chess club at school and went to chess tournaments. Uh huh. So <laughs> much like in the Queen's Gambit. <laughs> like, oh yeah, much like that. I felt like this for me did not have the same feeling as as Magic: The Gathering as a game. Like, I think that was a bit of a misleading statement from what you said because it did feel more like a chess puzzle or like an Onitama type board game based on chess type puzzle where Mm. because the way that you move in it depends on the type of character on the card now i understand we haven't actually talked about what the game is yet so that Mm -hmm. doesn't make a lot of sense but but that sense is the same as uh, chess where you have different pieces and they do different things and they can move in different ways not necessarily, but sometimes they break exceptions and they will have different movement rules. Let, let me give a, a, an overview of Summoner Wars to folks who are not familiar. So Summoner Wars, and we're specifically talking about Summoner Wars 2nd Edition Master Set, uh, is a card game that is similar to collectible card games in that you will have a deck and you can also do some deck construction if you have uh, more cards. And with the master set, you will, because it comes with six Mm. pre-constructed decks, so you can intersperse cards between them. And you will battle against an opponent, much like in Magic. You will have your deck, they will have their deck. Uh, It has all the fantasy trappings, so your decks will be things like Undead, or Savannah Elves, or Ice Dwarves, or humans. And, (laughs) And yeah, you will have various kinds of creatures depicted within that sort of trope of the deck and they will fight against each other the difference being here is that the battlefield rather than where you play cards onto a table and then they have abilities and do things here is an eight by six grid and each grid space is the space of a card Mm. Uh, and so your cards become sort of like chess pieces on Mm. a board and you have your side and your opponent has their side but you will move your pieces towards them, and they will move their pieces towards you. There are a couple of other other different uh, important things, like there are cards called summoning gates, which is where your units can spawn from. And most importantly, each uh, deck has a summoner, uh, that being a card that represents sort of you uh, in this in this mythical battle landscape. Uh, but also it represents them because they're very much like a character. They've got mm. like a name. Mm. Uh, they are the best card you have in the game. Uh, mm. They will have the most hit points. They will have probably the coolest ability. Uh, but also on top of that, you will win the game only and only if you destroy your opponent's summoner. Whereas you will lose the game only and only if the opponent destroys your summoner. 
So it's very much take out the queen. Well, that was why it was reminiscent again of chess for me, because it wasn't take out the queen, it's take out the king. Yeah. Right. The queen, if you lose the queen, that's okay. Like it Mm. sucks, but you're still playing. You still have units to play with. If you lose the king, that's game over. Yeah. Right. So that's why. And you're kind of trying to protect that unit on the board. That's true. There's very much an element of like, uh, yes, my my summoner has the best ability. Maybe. I don't know. uh, But to use that ability effectively, not always, but most of Mm. the time, you will have to get out there and do things with the summoner. Mm. But uh, as soon as you start doing that, you leave your summoner vulnerable and, of course, they can be taken out. So it's you. you when we played the game, you got into a position where, like, so your summoner uh, is a bit unlike other summoners. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Rhett Talis or something like yeah, that Rhett is his Talis. name? Yeah, He's the cover boy for yeah. Summoner Wars. And, and like, the big bad, apparently, yeah. of the universe. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so you could summon uh, undead back from your deck, yes. right? Like skeletons, but and stuff only like next that. to him, not next to the summoning gates. Yes, but you lost health every time you did that, yes. so you didn't need to get out there. No, but I was just hurting myself. Yeah, <laughs> over and over and over again. You were doing my job for me a little bit, and I think in the end that's what won you the game. I think I got a little bit carried away with having to resummon units like i saw them as too disposable i mean it it wasn't just that but there was a point in the game and i i think it was genuinely funny where like you were so worried about your summoner being hurt that you barricaded the summoner in like an impenetrable fortress and then realized you couldn't use the summoner's ability because there was no space around it right Uh, i i said to you i'm castling yeah. Uh, to put my summoner <laughs> in the corner of the board mm. uh, so it gets protected. But yeah, you're, you're right. Like then I left no spaces around it to actually summon units. But by that point, I didn't really want to be damaging my own health anyway, mm. right? Because I think I had half health at that point. And you were approaching rapidly. Yeah, I, I, I'm struggling to sort of um, bring up something uh, more interesting about Summoner Wars because there's... Um, it's weird talking about it. It has this legacy. So Summoner Wars has been around for a long mm. time. I think it's the first game that Platt had published. I might be wrong on that, but I think that's oh, wow, correct. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and a, it, it's got quite a following. And this is the second edition. Um, I, I've heard a lot of good things about Summoner Wars. I never tried it because I, I think I got into board games around the same time I was getting tired of magic. Um, <laughs> and for that reason... Uh, I never had a like uh, a very big interest in in the collectible card game side of tabletop gaming. Although I was well, always curious about Barons, and since you've never been very particularly excited about uh, playing collectible card game type games, mm. I never sought them out much. Anyway, but with the second edition and so many people talking about it excitedly, I really wanted to see for myself whether it is as good as people say it is. Mm. And here's my answer. It is as good as people say it is. To me, the game feels incredibly clever and it achieves a lot with very little because honestly, there's not a lot that goes into the formula of some of the wars. The rules are incredibly simple. Uh, mm. Like what what can you do on your turn? Well, it depends on what phase you are on. And all, there's like all the phases listed out. If I'm in the summon phase, I can put units by paying their cost onto the board next to the summoning gate. Great. If I'm in the movement phase, I can move three of them. How much can I move? Two spaces, uh, only in diagonal lines and not through other things. That's it. What can I attack? 
something that's next diagonal to me. Diagonal lines. No, sorry, orthogonal lines. Right. Only in right. orthogonal lines. Yeah. Uh, what can I attack? Something that's next to me if I'm a melee attacker. Uh, something that's three spaces away if I'm ranged. I roll some dice. If I get the right results, I'll score hits. It, and that's the rules of the game. And mm. then you can discard some cards to get extra resources. You kill something, you get a resource. That's it. That's really the rules to the game. Mm. But within that, it achieves something that like feels engaging and feels clever every turn I play. Right. And uh, and also, I've I've now had the privilege of playing through every single one of the factions in the game. Mm. Although against a live opponent, I've only played once. I played against you. Mm. Uh, and uh, I have played a lot on the Summoner Wars app, which is available for free uh, as a demo with oh. only two factions. Or, or I think you can pay something like 10 bucks oh. and you get the whole thing with all six factions and you can play, basically play the game. And I played a bunch against the AI. Um, mm. I should say I have only played this game once, just to clarify what mm. you were saying. But you're, you're right. Like There aren't a lot of rules to it. They're, they're fairly simple. And I really like that about it because I guess, again, I don't want to keep comparing it to chess indefinitely, but you know, it, it's a game that, that is easy to learn the basics of. Mm. And then you go and the way that you play the game is based on your own cleverness and your own skill and your opponent's skill. It's not trying to remember every little tiny detail of what you can do. There's also uh, what I like. I think it's that the way the game is presented is very much towards a more casual crowd uh, of people. And I think that's a good thing because mm. there's that okay. sort of trapping of competitive card games where like, uh, you know, the way most people see competitive card collectible card games mm -hmm, being played mm -hmm. is not actually how the the competition level transpires because very much the game quickly gets you know analyzed and people go <laughs> okay these are the best cards these are the worst cards and 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 you know people play it at a very different level yeah, yeah, right yeah. Uh, and i find it hard sometimes to transition between the two modes and at what mode the game feels comfortable to me. Not to say that there's one wrong way of playing any given game mm. or one right way mm. of playing any given game. But there's something about magic, for example, that means I can never go back to that sort of happy-go-lucky, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, I'll just buy a deck and I'll play with some cards and it'll be fun. No, I've seen what that other side is and I can never go back to it. But with Summoner Wars, I feel very comfortable because of how the game is presented. Like there's, uh, you know, there's six pre-constructed decks and because they're thematically coherent within each other, right? It, it feels like the deck building part maybe isn't the coolest part of the mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. What's cool about it is playing at that, you know, casual level where you don't overanalyze you don't overthink you mm. just go here's a deck you know let's have some fun let's have some fun what's the best i can do with it but within that frame the game isn't boring right yes. whereas magic with a pre-constructed <laughs> deck like you buy an intro deck like they're very dull cards you get some very very incredibly well, dull maybe cards. for you yeah but not necessarily for a beginner player mm. and i think that's one thing about magic that it has become a game that takes itself incredibly seriously and it loses in that its approachability for new players and when android netrunner was re-released some years ago mm -hmm. now i thought okay maybe this is my chance to to start at the beginning with everybody else yeah right? but the the issue with that was that that became quite serious quite quickly uh, and a lot of people that started playing that had been playing Magic for some time. Yeah. Uh, so they already had that 
footing, I guess, of playing how to play and how to build decks and and being in that mindset of collectible card tournaments. Yeah, they're part of that culture already. Right. So they're bringing that baggage and, you know, their approach to the game uh, to Netrunner. Having said that, I, I remember dabbling in Netrunner <laughs> uh, and, and then sort of abandoning it because I didn't quite like how competitive play was structured. Sure. But then what transpired is that like a, a from what I hear, right... The scuttlebutt is that the uh, competitive scene was quite wholesome, you know. To, oh, I'm sure. To borrow a word, I'm and sure. that you know it, it it engendered creativity and you know a, a experimentation, which not every competitive scene is like that. No, I appreciate that, and that's that's a nice thing about it. But it still, for me, wasn't approachable enough. Oh no! Uh, yeah, totally. And and this Summoner Wars, I think, is different enough. From those games and enough of a board game yeah. uh, to to be different and to to garner different crowds and different people that want to play it. Yeah, I'm not saying that you know people who play Summoner Wars at a tournament level because I imagine there's probably are sure, yeah. you know uh, you know are doing anything wrong or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that to me it feels like the sort of game that you're not going to take to a tournament. You're just going to sit at home and uh, play with your friend or play with your partner, and and that's nice. Having said that, do you still get the heebie-jeebies? Yeah, of yeah, course I do. Okay. Yeah, because it's still a one versus one card game. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I, well, I don't know. I get the heebie-jeebies with any one versus one. I think I think it's just peculiar to me. Okay, okay, fair enough. Not not specifically to collectible card games. No, but they bring it out the most, don't they? They bring it out the most. Yeah. Okay. So some of it was. We might have a look at it in video form uh, in a, in a broader sort of uh, yeah, spectrum. Yeah, so everyone can see the artwork. Yeah, <laughs> sh- showing it off a little bit, and you know what different decks do, and uh, you know what are the fun parts of the game uh, mechanically. Mm. But but that's a little sousant. If you're interested, I do recommend going on the Plathead website, mm. and I do recommend trying it out for free on the web-based app, uh, which works pretty well, and uh, you can get a sense for the game, and it teaches it to you as well. Mm. Elaine, there's a game in front of us, and that game is called Korra Rise of an Empire. What immediate feelings does this game evoke? Greeks. Greeks is not a feeling. Oh. (laughs) I always look forward to playing games about Greek, sir, Greece. Because I didn't study Greeks at school, mm-hmm. right? So, anything and you naively that... hope that the board game will teach you. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, Cora. I didn't know what that meant. Okay, and right? so... what does Cora mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew. You said you knew. No. Yeah, I mean, from the back of the rule book, I learned what Cora meant. I'm not sure it's the correct spelling because I saw some Greek people on board game complaining, saying, "Why didn't they spell it?" with a c um, oh. but i don't know i'm not i'm not greek i'm not sure that person was greek i just I briefly glanced at board game geek and that's what i saw do not take anything i just said with any authority well i mean it must be transliterated right from greek letters Maybe. anyway so yeah. it, surely it wouldn't matter so much I, if it's a c or a k i don't know i don't know I, I do not know anyway yeah i always look forward to learning more about 
any history or anything that I don't already know things about. Um, I know that the Greeks were excellent in philosophy and military and building things and technology. Mathematics. Mathematics. Uh, and I was looking forward to finding out how that applied to this game. I don't know if they were exactly excellent. I mean, you put any ancient Greek, you know, mathematician or military tactician or philosopher to a modern day mathematician politician or anything i feel like they would outpace them i well because you know i feel like these days people well, are better at those time, things though. no all right but yeah <laughs> that's like saying like if if you went back in time you would be like oh i have invented the car or you know the paper clip or yeah something. but why wouldn't you do that if if you uh had the ability to travel back in time <laughs> Because it's dishonest. Anyway, should we talk about the game? Yeah, why not? Uh, we've we've been talking about everything else, so it, it's about time. Cora is a game that uh, excited me more in presentation than it is in concept. Because uh, as as much as I enjoy any setting, the ancient Greece setting feels a little bit like it's been. I'd say it's been done once or twice. I don't know how you feel about <laughs> that statement. Maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe once or twice. Um, this is specifically said between 5,000 uh, British Columbia and 4,000 British Columbia. Uh, a, a time that is long lost. Uh, and within that time, you will be playing uh, Greek cities. Uh, or uh, Cora, as it were, mm. uh, as I've learned from the back of the rule book. And uh, so you will be Athens or Sparta or Corinth, or Thebes. Yes, uh, <laughs> famous character from Friends. Every time I said Thebes, because I played as Thebes, every time I said that, I thought of that clip where Hugh Laurie is on the plane with um, Jennifer Aniston and she's going to London, right, to uh -huh. meet everyone. And he's talking and he's like, your friend Thebes. Like the way he said it, like uh -huh. I couldn't get that out of my head he every British time I up. said Thebes. Anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about the board Let's game. Let's talk about the board game. We're not sticking to topic very well today. Not 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 very well. Uh the board game Cora is essentially something that doesn't feel particularly fresh in setting no. or in genre. Uh, but I was nevertheless excited because the presentation of it is really something we can't show you on the podcast but what we can do is we can describe and relay our feeling in terms of ah it's nice it's very very nice so the artwork isn't particularly standout but the colors are pleasing and nice and and the cover is very evocative i would say mm. uh, there's a lot of greenish and turquoise and there's a uh, uh, what seems to be a, a a Greek either person or or maybe even God? I don't know. I I really honestly see don't the fact know. that they're holding a laurel leaf and a what looks like drink. incense. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably it means that they're relevant. Yeah, but I don't I know think again so. because I didn't study the Greeks. I don't know who. It they looks are. like a martini, honestly. That yeah, they're holding, does, or it? like uh, like a margarita. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like, the artwork didn't particularly draw me into the game. And I think, actually, it was a it was representative of how this game was going to feel for me overall after we played it. Oh, really? Mm. So, uh, for me, I, I guess it's not the same. Because what I like, I don't think the artwork is particularly spectacular, but I don't think it's bad either, right? And I, that's, you know, a step up in board games. But also, what I like about it is the presentation. Mm. And what I mean by that is... 
the insert is not only nice and functional, but also kind of like speeds up uh, the player, uh, the setup of the game. Yeah. And, and makes everything just feels nice and like everything is in its place. The rulebook was pretty good. Uh, for the most part, there was one little bit that I thought, oh, that's strange. I don't quite understand that. But, you know, like it felt like it explained the game in a concise way where it introduced terms and gave uh, context to what those terms mean in the game. And Such as? Like, you know, like it says, oh, okay, we're going to talk about... Uh, you know, these tracks, these are what these tracks will do in the game. Right, I and see. then I will, you know, then as a rule book, I will explain the rules to you. And and that is a way I prefer to learn mm. from rule books. Mm. And so everything felt like it was thought of. I, I, as a person, as a player, as a, as, as someone who owns this game and is going to learn it and teach it, you know, yeah. I felt like take, I was taken care of right yeah and i think that's a really nice important feeling and there's a lot of other little nice touches to the components as well like uh double layer boards so yes. you know uh you have indentations for various tracks so your pieces don't slide off and 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 the wooden pieces are quite nice because they're thematically cut to represent uh the different tracks that you're going up yeah. on so the economy track is just circle because it's a coin but the culture track looks a bit like a column and the military track looks a bit like a shield you know yeah. so so there there's um and they are printed as well on the uh, on the wooden, on the wooden bits wooden yeah yeah so it's just not it just felt nice whilst it did say that the artwork isn't particularly spectacular i will say that the coloring is done really really well and in in terms of how in the artwork uh, the lighting is done and the colors are represented. I think it just feels pleasing and, you know, warm and welcoming. And and that to me uh, is something that makes me excited to play again. I, I think for me, it kind of reminds me of history books, the artwork in history books. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Um, in school textbooks is what I mean, like where they're trying to present it in a way that is explanatory almost to what is going on in the text yes mm. and and so it feels a little bit educational but that's not that's not a bad thing but it's that kind of I don't want to say bland because I, I agree with you the colors are pleasing and it's well presented but it's just not very engaging to me yeah so there was a lot of lead up as to how Cora looks and mm. you know how it presents itself let's explain what Cora is Cora yes. is a game where you have tracks many many tracks and then you have tracks and many, many more tracks. And then on top of that, you have <laughs> some tracks. You have and tracks on your board, tracks on the main board. <laughs> and what will you do on those tracks, Elaine? You'll try and go up on up? those tracks. Up. Specifically up. Uh, I think so. That's novel. I've never heard of people going up on a track in a board game. <laughs> well, sometimes you go along. Like, instead of up, you go along. In a That's track. true. It, Makes the world of difference. <laughs> for, for your victory points, you go along. Yeah, up. you do. But you do. yeah, for the rest of the tracks, you go up. So there's lots of tracks. So there's like military, culture, economy. Okay. Uh, there's taxes, citizens. There's, what else? Taxes? More, the, no, I already said taxes. Already said, there's, yeah. there's so many tracks. Um, troops? Troops, yeah. Well, that was my kind of main thing. And yeah. depending on which city that you play as it will give you a starting resource or starting um, benefit, benefit uh, that will lead you in how to play that city mm. i so yeah there's there's like a susan of asymmetry in that you get a starting bonus so you might go up on a track or uh, i played corinth so i just started with extra coins yes which is a resource rather yes. than a track believe it or not and uh you had the ability 
to go up on one of the game's tracks, which was uh, military. You went up on military? Yeah. And that gave you more yeah, troops? It, no, yeah. I, I had to go up on military. I started... Yeah, you went up on military. And, yes. and so there is a sense that you get that this game is going to be very dry because it, it is really just you go on tracks, certain things happen when you go on these tracks and, you know, and that's it. But it is less dry than I expected. Mm. A lot less dry, in fact. So you also get these seven tiles at the start of the game. These tiles are the seven available actions that you will be able to do on any given turn. Now, uh, you will do only two actions, although you are able to unlock the ability to do three. Yes. Uh, and these, uh, the number of actions you can take are represented by six-sided dice. So you have two six-sided dice to start. You can unlock a third one. Uh, so every round, you will ro roll your two dice. Yeah. And then, after you roll them, you will have to assign those two dice to one of the, you know, uh, two of the six tiles, seven tiles you have in your hand. Yes. Uh, each of those tiles are numbered from zero to six yes and if your die has less value than the tile uh, then you have to pay citizens in equal to the difference between the tile and the die uh, so if i i want to play the development tile which is number six uh, and so ostensibly maybe the best action in the game although each action is only as good as what you made it to be right. you know and your die that you're assigning only has a one on it, you have to pay five citizens. And once again, citizens is a track that you go up and down on. Mm. Uh, not just up this time. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of disagree with you that uh, the develop action being six means it is the best. I think that they have balanced it so that it is the least used action. Yes, because development specifically refers to your personal city mm. and the asymmetric powers of your city. So when you start the game, you'll get a starting bonus, but then you can upgrade that starting yeah. bonus into other things like, um, you know, permanent abilities or even a scoring ability at the, the end of the game that will say, right. I score things for, let's say, having a, a lot of troops at the end mm -hmm. of the game that mm -hmm. I haven't used, mm -hmm. you know, so there'll be victory points or something like that. And conversely, there's also cards that you draft at the start of the game. So you get five cards and then you draft them and you still end up with five cards and, you know, they also have either abilities when you play them or uh, abilities that are permanent or yes. abilities that are scoring abilities. And and so uh, between all these tracks, between these knowledge tokens, which you kind of spend resources, uh, those resources being troops, once again, a track you go up and down mm -hmm. on, you know, uh, to pick up. Uh, between the cards you play, you get this soup of things for which you might score. And if you put all your eggs in the right order, you will get ducks and all your ducks will be lined up. Uh, and they will quack. And they will quack. And I mixed some analogies here, but I feel like that explains the game pretty well. But yeah, you're only doing that, I think, four times maximum. You're only upgrading your city four times maximum yes, in the game, in the entire game. Yeah. Like there's, you can't do it again. So if that was on a number that was lower, like three or four or whatever right that's uh, very true it, you would be ending up spending citizens a lot more on other actions oh absolutely but also i think what's important to note here is that uh you might not even develop at all so whilst the abilities that you get are very mm. much tied into your yeah. faction right and especially the scoring ability at the end you know it sort of gives you a direction uh if you didn't end up with like cards that support that strategy that might be rubbish you know so yeah. you might choose not to do that and go do other things that score you more points I, it's unlikely, and I suspect that the majority of points uh, anytime you play will come 
for the last level of the development. Yeah, possibly, but I'm not sure how many points that gave me because I really pushed for that at the end. Mm. Um, and I don't think it made that much difference in the end. There, there was things that I should have done on previous turns instead of pushing for that that would have given me a lot more points. I guess what ultimately you end up doing is you end up combining abilities and scoring uh, possibilities and hope that you get some sort of engine out of these tracks going by the end of the game. I think what I want to touch on is that Eagle Die listeners will have noticed that uh, when you roll these dice, Mm. that if you have a lower result, it's strictly worse than having a higher result. And they might say, oh, well, isn't that unfair in, in a game that is you know, made out of tracks, so efficiency, right? And I would say, I mean, strictly talking, yes, maybe. But actually, what I've learned is that it doesn't matter. Uh, And the reason it doesn't matter is because you have citizens, so you can always make up the difference and pay them. What else do you use citizens for? Not really much. Uh, There's an achievement you get if you, like, reach, like, uh, a level of citizens before anyone else does. Sure, you use them for anything else apart from paying for your dice. I mean, maybe there's a scoring condition somewhere. Oh, you know, to have this, yeah, yeah, but I never something on a card, yeah. I don't know. In the entire game, I never felt any tension about, like, oh, I I can't do this action or I can't do that action. Uh, The only time it mattered, I realized, was that when I didn't, like, I, I had spent some citizens, and then by the end of the game. I was worried that, like, if I rolled, like, low enough, I might not be able to do every single action I want to. So that's that's sort of how I started feeling about this game. Some of these things sounded really clever, but started feeling superfluous. Yeah, I, I guess it's just there so that you don't just play whatever action you like all the time. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, because I never struggled with citizens either and i i wasn't doing anything particularly did special you, to get citizens no did you ever not play the action that you no. want no okay neither no, did never. i in the entire because game in, in fact when you go up the tracks that are on your player board there mm-hmm. is one of them that does give you extra citizens the economy action which is something that you are going to be doing unless you are swimming in money because at the start of this game well yeah and it really the start of this game is the exciting part of the game and i think that's (laughs) something telling everything feels super stingy Mm. like you can't do anything and you're suddenly like it's like you've been um kicked off a tree and you're a baby bird and oh, wow. You, and you suddenly need what to... What an analogy. Well, no, well, you need to learn to fly, you know? Like when your parents kick you off the tree and... Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole thing, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, and you need to start flying or it's, you know, kaput. Uh, so you start to fly because you have to. So this is how the start of this game feels. It feels like, oh, no, I have nothing and I have to do things. For me, it was kind of like, you know, that there's a hole in my bucket kind of thing. It was more like that. Like, I want this, but to get this, I need this. To get this, I need this. To get this, I need this. And to get that, I need the first thing. Yeah. Like, (laughs) it was was just kind of circular that I felt like I couldn't get anything. But then somehow, I don't know. I don't know how I started that engine of doing things. But it got going. It got going somehow, eventually. Yeah, then it chugged along nicely, I think. There was never a point where I thought, this is dragging, apart from the very end. Yeah, this this is where the game really, really stalled. Because once you sort of, like, completed that, that ignition... Right, I'm not saying the engine. You completed the ignition, yes. right? 
You're just sort of like then churning the wheel, right? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you're turning it and you're turning it and you're turning it and you're turning it. And every single time you turn it, it feels like the same time. There, I, I, I remember there was a point in the game where you noticed me saying, well, I guess there's no point in doing anything else but these same free actions again. Yeah. Um, and, and you looked at me and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, you feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a point where you go, okay, this is the most efficient thing for me to be doing. And, and it, you do it's it. Not, it's not even like... Unless you haven't got enough citizens somehow, well, yeah, magically. Yeah, I guess. But it, it's not even like, oh, well, maybe I should do something else. Like, I don't want to play optimally, completely optimally. I'll yeah. try and do something else. But there's nothing really else to do. Well, there's this can't. You can, you can always draw a card and see if the card that you get is is yeah okay by chance somehow better than the thing that you're guaranteed sure. to get points for sure there's not there's not a lot of freedom there though no there um, really isn't to try different things so you just stick to what's going to get you points uh, by the end mm -hmm. um and that that was a little bit disappointing because i th i think you know there was for me uh it, my strategy was to try and build up my military my troops yeah um and get as many of the tokens from the board as i could so there's these knowledge tokens right. that you need to spend troops for and if you get them they will unlock the ability to go up the development track play mm -hmm. some cards mm -hmm. and stuff like that but also and and i'm sorry i interrupted no, you no, but no, i please. think it's important to explain these knowledge tokens yeah they are also one of the scoring conditions in that the major knowledge tokens, which are the ones that are just harder to get but mm. function the same way, the major tokens multiply, they multiply with the glory track and that, that multiplication becomes added to your score. Mm. And that felt very weird to me because you suddenly have like um, scoring ability that has a multiplier in it versus everything else in the game that doesn't. Yeah. And it is very much a game where you pick scoring strategies and i feel like you can't not pick that one but the way certain cities are built in terms of what abilities they offer uh they don't exactly gel with that approach whereas some cities like sparta which are the mm. very military mm. ones really encourage that approach mm. yeah no i i completely agree and and i appreciate why uh you wanted to talk about that mm. um but all i was going to say was that i had like a goal in mind and once i reached that goal i didn't know what to do anymore yeah uh, and and what but what you were talking about um the thing i found weird was that the glory was on the same track as the military Right. So they, they kind of tie in with each other. So, yeah, the so more if military, you go up military, you get glory. Right, yeah. The more military you get, the more glory you get. And that's the two multipliers. That's the thing that's multiplying with each other. So the better you do, the better you do. And you Well, well not directly, but the military does give you troops and troops do let you get knowledge yeah. and knowledge does multiply the glory. Right. But they both feed. Yeah. The, by going up in military, you feed both of these yes. strategies. Yeah. Yes. And then there's the culture track and there is a card, one of the actions that you can play in the game uh, that says you get points. Equal. equal to your space on the culture which track. Which is what so, I was doing. Which is what you were doing. So there's kind of very obvious strategies, I guess, yeah. within and, it. And when you go up the culture track, you get an extra die. And I think yeah. that's why, because you spend the entire rest of your game spending that extra die going, I'm going to choose the culture action on top of the other actions that I'm doing, which is going to give me, uh, you know, bonus points every turn. Mm. And that felt good. And I think I, I did win the game. You did, by two points. By two points. But 
I think I didn't deserve to win that game. <laughs> uh, I think you deserve to win that game. Like, but genuinely, uh, because I think you you slightly underestimated how important uh, the multiplier was. Yes, and, I guess so. Yeah, and and had you not, I think you were playing well enough to have crushed me entirely. Well, thank you. Uh, but yeah, in the end, I I didn't do that. I I miss. Sure. No, I, I I underestimated. But that's that. the thing. I guess the reason I bring it up is like, uh, okay, like you know, it was our first play, and hmm. we sort of, you know, like um, dabbled with it. But now, were we to go into this game again, I feel like we we would enjoy it even less because now that we know what the strategies yeah. are. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about the replayability of this for us. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not sure now. We've kind of poked the buttons and prodded it a little bit. I'm not sure how much I want to try that again. I I do like the idea of of their being different sitters and they give you start different starting benefits mm. um but do you always have to kind of stick to those benefits and, i mean probably what's the point of the benefit right if, so if you don't are you just gonna hinder yourself if you don't so every time you play with the same city you kind of have to have the same strategy mm. and and i'm not sure how much i i would enjoy playing it over and over with that in mind the last thing i should add is that we did play this as a two-player game and mm. whilst there's not a lot of things that uh are affected by player count the one thing that is affected is the availability of knowledge tokens yeah um because it doesn't scale in any way between players so with two there is the you know the entire smorgasbord you have whatever you like literally there is like some minimal competition that i felt that was there where like i had to kind of wonder where you why you're gonna take this one where you're not gonna take this one but not really in any way that mattered throughout the course of the game whereas i think in a four-player game it would be a lot more tense in terms of oh wow i really need to get this token today right uh <laughs> and and actually your ability to get those tokens you, you have no control over it because uh so turn order is determined by a die roll mm. uh, to compensate for a poor die roll, which I feel is just nonsensical because I think turn order matters a lot more in this game than that die roll. Because if you can snag the thing that you need to snag, then then that's going to make or break you. And if mm. you can't, then, you know, that's going to break you. Having having that rely on a die roll rather than any other sensible metric in the game feels strangely unstrategic and mm. punishing in a wonky way. Yeah, I I think I think overall for me this game is just a little bit too bland. Um I, I appreciate ever such a lot of, of what they've done here. They've they've given you clues on the board as to um what action takes oh place when. They've given you theme and history in the rule book of the different cards the politics cards and event cards they tell you all about them about the plague of athens about the columns about all these kinds of things they've presented the board nicely they've done um dual layered player boards everything is is nice i think elo knocked it out with the presentation of this for game. sure it like everyone who was involved in developing how this game looks and and you know sits in the box should pat themselves on the back. I think it's really nice and really lovely and really approachable uh, as well because, like, the rulebook felt clear and it taught me how to play the game. And I don't think the game is that particularly bad. No. I just don't think... I had a good time playing. Yeah. It's it's in a genre that is incredibly crowded. It's the (laughs) 60-minute Euro game, right? There are so many of them. And it does feel like it riffs on a lot of similar games. 
uh, like Orleans. But Orleans, for that matter, you know, okay, maybe it's half an hour longer than this game, but it has so much excitement. You have bags, there's tokens in those bags. Are you going to draw those tokens? Who knows? Let's yeah. find out. Oh no, or oh yes, <laughs> right? It's, 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 it's the whole gamut of emotions. Whereas here... A little bit. That tension is taken away. Yeah, there's I a think. little bit of it. It's not entirely taken away, but it, it feels a bit flabby. Mm. And it's a shame because I think there's an idea here somewhere that has a lot of legs. And I think if people just just play this game, like, you know, just have it and play it, they'll probably have a decent time. But I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way recommending it. Mm. Agreed. Before we continue, I would like to make a profuse apology to our listeners for making the egregious mistake at the beginning of this episode by saying that Cheese Whiz comes from a can. It does, in fact, come from a jar, which uh-huh. is something I've only learned of just now, but I am sure, I am sure that as you were listening, you were already writing screaming letters. At the, screaming yeah. at your iPod. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have left letters or comments, um, I look forward to them, and I, I do... Oh, they might have already posted the letter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It might be too late. There's nothing that can be done about this awful, awful mistake, and uh, you have my sincere promise that uh, throughout the course of the rest of the life of this episode, I will do everything to make up, uh, to craft... Uh, fans of Cheese Whiz and everyone well, involved. Our, the person that gave us the award. As well, absolutely, yes. Which would have been Kraft himself. Mr. Kraft. Mr. Kraft. Uh, with that, let's talk about Kemet, Blood and Sand. That being the second board game that has the subtitle Blood and Sand. The mm. first one being Spartacus. Um, Blood and Sand. <laughs> long-time viewers and listeners might know that Kemet has landed in... The top 10 games of all time wow. that we did in 2017. Oh, our top 10 games of all time. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. No, that matters a lot less. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but it, it means something to us. You know, we, we have enjoyed Kemeting from time to time. And uh, since then, Kemet has gone through somewhat of a transformation a um, couple of times. Not only has there been a second expansion released for base game Kemet that added the one versus all variant mm. in Kemet set. They should have called it <laughs> get set go. Get uh, Kemet go. Get Kemet go. No, no. Get... Se- Kemet set go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then it's fo- very hot today. We're both kind of losing it a little bit. We today, are. We are. It's it's an, an immense heat wave in the United Kingdom. I think Kingdom. it's thirty two degrees today. Oh so. god, I've melted completely. Anywho, after that, they did a Kemet one point five rule set that was available as a free download mm-hmm. of a PDF that rejigged the rules of the game. And shortly since they've published that, they have launched a Kickstarter campaign for. Kemet 2.0, that being Kemet Blood and Sand, which is the game Mm -hmm. we are discussing today. And when I say we, I mean I, because you have not played it. I have played it with uh, some dear uh, members of our Patreon community. Thank you to every single one of them who participated. Um, It was an interesting experience. It was, I'm I'm sad to report a mixed bag. Oh, Uh, how does it compare to the the game that I've played? Well, favorably and also not at the same time. Uh, so in terms of gameplay, I have to say that I had a joyous time with Kemet. If you've not played Kemet or heard of Kemet, uh, it is a much beloved armies on a map game mm-hmm. where uh, you play various Egyptian gods 
and those Egyptian gods fight it out on an on Try on and a, build pyramids. Y- yeah, with <laughs> pyramids and and also a very wonkily drawn map that is strangely symmetrical uh, because everything is like it's not symmetrical, but everything is meant to be like equidistant. I see, uh, and that's sort of like wherever you want to go, you can go. Uh, there's a lot of mobility. You can teleport to places. You get rewarded for attacking people, so you get victory points every time you win. Uh, it has. A complete cornucopia of different abilities that you can get. And a lot of the game is punctuated by, ooh, I'm going to get this thing or that thing. I I can't believe Steven over there got that ability that I didn't even consider. But actually, it's really great. And I can no longer get it now because Steven has it. So uh, Kemet is tense. Kemet is fast-paced. Kemet is enjoyable. It Rodney Smith's favorite game of all time. Is it really? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, uh, I really do like it. I, I I have enjoyed it in the past a lot and still do. Uh, on the basis that it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's an armies mm-hmm. on a map game mm-hmm. uh, that functions how you expect an armies on a map game to function. Mm-hmm. There's armies. They fight. They uh, function. Uh, and there's a lot of cool abilities. And uh, there's always a trick up your sleeve that you can pull out and surprise people with. It's cool. I like it. Having said that, now we come to Kemet Blood and Sand. Is it a better game? Yes. Ah, it, why? In what sense? It, in Okay, so in the sense that I enjoyed it more as someone who's played Kemet a bunch uh-huh. before. I haven't played Kemet in a while, I'll be honest. So it's I, it's probably been two years since I last played Kemet. I played Kemet set with Rodney uh, in, in a convention called Aircon a couple of years ago, uh, where we couldn't finish our game because the convention closed. <laughs> And we had to leave. Uh, and we tried to pull, like, special rank, like, saying, you know, to the organizers, what, do we have to leave? Like, like Rodney Smith is in this room. Yeah, with not how, just how room on this very table. Out? Yeah. Right? Mm. Not to mention Elaine and Efka from No Pun oh, Included. Oh, Were you not? No. Okay, never mind. Like, uh, I mean, if I would have been there, okay, that's a why whole the, different... Yeah, that's why they kicked game, us right? out. Anywho, but they were like, no, you have to go. And we're like, okay. Anywho, so uh, it's been a while since I've played... Uh, but I used to play it a lot. Uh, and I have to say, a lot of it felt like, you know, slipping back into an old jumper. You know, like, it it, it feels exactly how you remember it feeling, mm. you know. But it's like someone made that jumper all over again. But the weird thing about this analogy is that whilst that jumper was great for me, mm. I suspect a lot of fe- people wouldn't fit into that exact same jumper. <laughs> I'm aware I just time. said people accidentally. <laughs> You know, because because jumpers are not for everyone. And this one is very specifically tailored. I so, think I'm losing the thread of this. Well, okay. The point is that they made Kmet again. Yeah. And they made it pretty much the same game. Yeah. But they made it faster, sleeker. Nice. Uh, more polished, more balanced. Yes. Right? All of that is great. That sounds positive. Right? Way Stuff. less approachable. Way oh, less approachable. Because? Well, here's the thing. So they, they tried to do a number of improvements on, on the balance of the game. And they, I think they've succeeded mm-hmm. in that. Because suddenly the abilities that I am familiar with felt, you know, tuned up and changed and fresh and new. And everything felt like, oh, like there's this rhyme and reason to it. Right. But then at the same time, I have played this game a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I read this rule book, I read the rule book and I understand I understood how to play the game. There were still things that cropped up, and I'll get to why in a second, okay. during the game. But mostly we were fine because I had played Comet a bunch. Right, so you feel like you wouldn't have understood the rulebook as well if you'd never played Comet. 
Oh my no. All right. Uh, the rule book is hot trash. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Like, like genuinely bad to the point oh. where even I, who has played the game, felt confused at times. Oh, that's a shame. That's a real shame. And not only that, but there are, I don't know, there are just sloppy errors. Like, there's, uh, and, and errors that matter. Right. Mm. So uh, Kemet's Combat is punctuated by a really cool card system. I think they were one of the first or maybe even the first to use this card system. I don't know if they are, but I know that they're definitely if they're not, then they are the game that popularized. It, okay. Right. Which is what? Uh, well, basically, let's say I have five troops uh, yeah. and that's my, it's five units in my troop. That's my army. I go into a territory and fight against your five troops. Yes. Right. So we have equal size of armies right now each unit in our troop uh, adds one strength towards the battle mm -hmm. right so uh, in this scenario we are equal because i have five and you have five yes. right now i'm losing because defender wins ties because i'm attacking you right but then we have to play two cards mm -hmm. right now we always have uh, we start the game with eight cards in our hand and these are battle cards and they have various criteria so they have strength that they add towards the battle so uh, a card could have anywhere between one and five mm -hmm. right uh why would you ever play a one because it's a fight you might not win anyway right right but additionally to that you play two cards you play one card face up you play one card face down the card that's face down is discarded not used and will remain face down until you run out of cards and pick it, pick them all back up again. Mm -hmm. So people don't exactly know oh, what's what in your hand. Yeah. Whereas what you have played towards battle is yeah. public information. Yes. So if you have played your five, everyone knows you have played your five. Yeah. But if you've played your four, people might think, do they still have the five? Mm -hmm. uh, but so here's the thing. So um, the thing that they've added is the five because, because it used to be from one to four. Uh, the, and it used to be only six cards. Now there's eight okay. cards, which is something that's been added in an expansion for original Kemet. Sure. But what they added is this... Uh, so there's there's extra things on the cards. So, for example, winning a fight doesn't destroy any troops, but there's damage on cards as well. Right. Damage destroys troops. There's also shields. Prevents damage. And now they added unpreventable damage. Ah. Right? So the five doesn't just have five, which is the highest strength, but... I believe, two unpreventable damage, right. which seems redonkulously good and the better card by a mile, yeah. right? It's not because the two preve unpreventable damage is actually something you sustain yourself. Oh. But that's not explained anywhere. And it was only caught because people who have played the Kemet expansion and had that same card from original Kemet were like, wait a minute, why do these card two cards function differently, even though everything else is a copy of like the previous Kemet? Right, right? Oh, strange. And, and they were like, oh no, actually, we, uh, there seems to be some BGG like answers in terms of like okay, well, forum threads where they say, oh, well, then that's an error. But the problem with that is that then there are other cards and abilities that also have that unpreventable damage symbol. Yeah. But that is not unpreventable damage to you. That's unpreventable damage to your opponent. To your opponent right. Right. Because otherwise the cards would be actively bad because that's oh all they do. Oh my gosh. So it's incredibly confusing. And <laughs> and it sounds like a minor thing, but in a game as precise no, as Kemet, yeah. right? That really matters. Yeah. That, that's really off-putting. It when, is. When you have to try and remember confusing details like that. Exactly. But on top of that, uh, my experience was punctuated very well by one of our patrons who also has played Kemet Blood and Sand previously. 
but they haven't played original Kemet. As right. in, they heard about Kemet and how good it is. And when the Kickstarter came, they backed it and were like, oh, well, I'm excited to try this definitive version of Kemet. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so they got the rulebook, they learned it, and they didn't learn it quite correctly because mm. the rulebook, as I mentioned, is hot trash. <laughs> so this is where I'm torn. And I've only listed a couple of examples of my experiences with Kemet Blood and Sand, a version that I'm now genuinely torn between. Yeah. Because there are things about it I like. And stylistically, it is an upgrade. Mm. And and mechanically, it's an upgrade. But it's such a confusing version that I don't know which one to keep anymore. I should keep Kemet Blood and Sand because it is technically the better version. Yeah. But I'm frustrated that it isn't the ultimate version, which is what it always should have been. Mm. When a company that doesn't do Kickstarters puts up a Kickstarter and says, well, we're going to do this game that you love and we're going to, you know, yeah. big it up. I just sort of, I, I don't want to rail on publishers too much because everyone makes mistakes and stuff like that, you know, and that's fine. I just, it's just not what Kemet deserves. And and to me, that was like sort of a disappointing experience. Uh, there's another, a few minor details. So you will know that the abilities you get are on something called power tiles, mm -hmm. right? So they thankfully changed uh, the terminology from original Kemet. In original Kemet, the power tiles were, you know, separated into three different colors and yes. then another color got added in, in an expansion, those being red, blue, and white, and black. So what you ended up with was white power, uh, oh. which is obviously not a term you want to have in your game. So they changed that, uh, which is great, except they changed it in the wrong way. Oh, no. Instead of changing the term power, yeah. they changed the colors but the colors are still the same. Oh. So what they did was they made it ruby, sapphire, and diamond. So oh, everyone's just going to call it white. Though. Exactly. That's the problem. <laughs> I tried so desperately throughout our game to not say blue power or yeah, red power yeah. or that other term. Yeah. I just tried to say red. Sorry, ruby. I did it here. I did it here on the podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. I tried to say Ruby, Yeah. I tried to say Sapphire, and somewhere halfway through the game, I think people instinctively recognized the folly in that and abandoned it, which... Um, That's a real shame, because they had an opportunity there to, to fix that. And and the same with the rule book. I feel. that That's really disappointing, that when there is a, a new or updated version, the, the, mm. the errors or confusions in the rule book should be like one of the first things that mm. is looked at because it's the thing that you approach first in a game. Exactly. Apart from like looking at the artwork or the back of the box or whatever, that mm. is the thing you see first in the game. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Here's my conundrum as a reviewer. Now, like make no mistake, Comet is a fantastic game. Comet Blood and Sand is a better game, game, uh -huh. mm -hmm. but it is a worse product. And as a reviewer, when I recommend a game, I'm recommending a game to someone who doesn't have it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to ultimately recommend Kemet Blood and Sand because I really enjoy it. It was faster. It was leaner. The, the rebalancing of abilities wasn't just like fan service where like mm. it increased the longevity of the game, but it actually felt snappy and cool. And like, I don't know, I, I enjoyed the diamond power tiles. Uh, because I always felt like they, that that was the slightly too strong uh, color, you sure. know, out of all the colors, because it just fueled your economy in a really speedy way. And if you were able to utilize that, you were just able to do things slightly faster than other people at the expense of some early game lagging behind. Mm -hmm. And and they sort of tweaked that in a way that still felt like it was cool, but like there were upsides and downsides. Mm -hmm. It was neat. I just, 
I just wanted a better product. I didn't get that better product. I got a better game instead. Well, that sounds disappointing. A little bit. I would still like to play it, though. I think you should. I think mm. Komet's pretty good. Mm. I like Komet, so... Yeah. Yeah, but I would like to play that. But that that's a real disappointment, I think. Uh, on a final note, I would like to add that all the games uh, that we discussed today have been provided by their respective publishers, that being Plathead Games, ELO, and Matago. The game of Kemet I did play on Tabletop Simulator, mm -hmm. and the only mod on Tabletop Simulator for Blood and Sand has some really wonky assets that don't really reflect the experience of the game. But 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 I do own Kemet Blood and Sand. I have fiddled with it. I put it on the table, and you know I touched it and I felt it. I, I try to absorb that experience, if you will. There you go. That's the disclaimer. Thank you so much for listening to our 22nd No Pun Included podcast. If people would like to hear more from No Pun Included, where can they find us? They can find us on nopunincluded.com slash podcast, where they'll find all the podcast episodes. Uh, you can, of course, find this podcast on any kind of podcast delivery device or app. But most importantly, I would love to... We've never asked for this. We sincerely never asked for this. So I, I would love to ask people, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast... Leave a review on iTunes. I, apparently it helps. I, and I, I, would, I would love for you to do that. If you haven't done that, and that would be good. I would really appreciate that. Otherwise, uh, we are primarily a video review channel. Uh, we are on YouTube. We're called No Pun Included. And if you type in No Pun Included into YouTube, you will find us. Finally, uh, we also have a Patreon. And if you really, 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 really enjoy what we do, you can always go to patreon.com slash no pun included and join our community. Uh, we'll have some extras there, like... Uh, my top 100 board games videos and an occasional newsletter. And additionally, you'll have your name in the credits of all our videos. So that's pretty neat, right? And with that, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine. <laughs>